Well, as I mentioned here a little bit ago, is that one of the things that we're going to start doing as of, I'm sorry, you may be seated. One of the things we're going to start doing as of January, excuse me, July, next Sunday, for those of you that are with us right now on Facebook, but next Sunday, and those of you here, we will have our music going first. Uh, we have some we have some biblical, theological prepositions as far as what the Bible teaches. Sing to the Lord is the first verse in Psalms 95 and in Psalms 96. Shout unto God with the cry, with the shout of triumph. Psalms 97. And so we're going to start off next Sunday with the music first. So I pray that you would join us as often as you can and be ready to hear some live worship uh, here at North Park Church. Uh, second thing I want to say is Happy Father's Day. Yes. It's not. Well, we're going to start next Sunday anyways. Thank you for... And that's why today's message is directed to me. <laughs> next Sunday, yeah. We're going to start next Sunday. So uh, anyways, thank you for that clarification. So next Sunday, we will start with music first. And the uh, second thing I wanted to say was Happy Father's Day to all the you that are listening and, and here. And I, I pray that uh, you are just reminded and how awesome of a person you are. Um, but unfortunately for some of us, it seems to be a little bit difficult. Let me, uh, let me has, have you open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This is a very timely message, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Paul is already, and I've shared this with you already as far as what 2 Corinthians is. It's the only letter of all the 13 epistles that we have that, that Paul really just shares his heart. This is a very different letter than any other letter. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians is often just looked over. Most people don't ever study it, uh, and most pastors don't even preach it. And the only reason, I don't want to say the only reason, but the, the reason that I'm here now is because we went from 2 Corinthians naturally into 1 Corinthians naturally into 2 Corinthians. And the more that I'm getting into 2 Corinthians, I'm realizing, wow, Paul, Paul just had a heavy heart for this church. This church in Corinth, he spent a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of correspondence back and forth. He sent the letter prior to this one, not 1 Corinthians uh, that we have, but there was another letter in between. He sent it with Titus, and Titus hadn't come back, and, and Paul is stressed out and worried. I mean, what happened to Titus? You know, why isn't he back? Did they stone him? Did they, was he mauled? Was he robbed? Or did he even make it? And he knew that that letter was very weighty and it was weighing upon his heart. And we studied last week that when you are focused on the problem, all kinds of things just, you can't focus on ministry. You can't focus on uh, the, the Word of God. You can't focus on opportunities that God has given you. And, and so this is where Paul was at. And he, so he leaves, as we uh, talked about last week, he leaves Troas and, th and then he goes... Uh, there, and he does some ministry, uh, a, a young man falls off of a building, he dies, and Paul prays over him, and God himself brings him back to life. Awesome opportunity, but Paul was so bent on getting to Titus. He was so, and we find out later in chapter 7 that he, eventually Titus did show up. But, but it's interesting on how Paul is sharing his heart in, in, in this whole process as he's thinking this through. And, and when he gets to chapter 3, he starts doing a lot of um, maintenance work. There are a lot of people in the church that are talking against Paul in Corinth, and they're talking against him. They're saying that he's a false apostle, that he's been teaching you wrong, that the doctrine that he's been teaching you is not correct. And so Paul has to defend himself, but instead of going out and saying, you know, this is, 
these are my credentials. This is who I am. This is, this is what I've done. This is, you know, instead of going in that direction, what Paul does, he says, you know, let the evidence speak for itself. Let the evidence speak for itself. And as a minister of the gospel myself, I like to think that I have some influence in the lives of people, influence for good, to God, and for God. And as a minister, one of the things that we try to do is get into God's Word and, and proclaim it as clearly and as passionately and, and, and as, as, as good as we can so that you can receive it and have it make an impact in your life. I can't make you take this message. I can't even change you. I can barely change myself. I, I, there's nothing that I personally and humanly can do to make it make sense to you except for to proclaim it as clearly as I can. And so Paul, instead of pulling out his credentials, instead of going to all kinds of different directions, he says, look, you are the evidence. The evidence is right here. You are the evidence of what I have already done. Those people, they were called Judaizers. We call them Judaizers because they were bent on keeping people and making them Jews and to follow the laws because grace wasn't sufficient. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save and to pay for your sin. Yes, but, yes, and, yes, also, you got to follow this, 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 and this. And there were certain rules and regulations, and even like we have in some churches, that if you don't wear a suit and tie, you, uh, you're not saved. Or you got to wear, you know, there's all kinds of stipulations, and we can go on for days. And you've probably heard some, you've probably been a part of some, but salvation is by grace alone. And it's God's work, not my work. I don't save myself. I can't. It is God who saves me. And when God saved me, I responded to that. I have a responsibility now. And so the Judaizers, what they were doing is they went in after Paul had been there, and he starts confusing everybody with all these things. And it's a group of people. And they followed Paul everywhere he went. But somehow in Corinth, it really made a mess of things. And so Paul wrote one letter which we don't have. He wrote a second letter, which we do have. We call it 1 Corinthians. He wrote a third letter, which is also lost. And then now this letter, which we have here uh, in our midst and that we read. And so Paul is, has to defend himself. Now, in, in context of where we're at today, today is Father's Day. And one of the things that I believe that happens to some dads, and I don't know if it happens to all dads, but one of the things that happens, and I guess I can only speak by experience, I have this understanding or this thought, you know, am I even, have I even been a good father? If you're, if you're a dad, I'm sure that that has passed your mind. Uh, you know, have I done a good job? Have I done what was required of me as a father, as a father-in-law, and as a spiritual father as well? And so as a father, today's Father's Day, we, we, we made this holiday just so we can get honored. And, and so we believe that we're getting honored, and, and, and we are, and, and we get presents. And depending on the type of present we get, we kind of size it up. Well, I guess I wasn't that good of a dad. This is the third tie in a year, a third time in a row. I got a tie. Come on, I got to mean more than that. I'm sorry if that's what you got. But if you got me a tie, that's okay. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I'll wear it. I'll make sure I wear it. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, and, and so we, we kind of evaluate ourselves according to how we're, we're being responded to. We evaluate ourselves according to how, what we receive from you. And this is what Paul has been doing. Paul says, you know, all you have to do is look at you. All I have to do is look at who you are and what you've done. And Paul says this. He says, you know what? I don't have to toot my own horn. 
And as, as dads, as I said a little while ago, one of the things that happens is we fall short. And we all do. We all fail. We all mess up. We're not perfect. As fathers, we recognize that. We recognize that there are some things. And, and the, the best thing that we could hope for as fathers is that we raised godly children that will be productive in this city, in this country, and be productive as they raise their own children and they reflect the same character and morals that we have. And this is why it's important as men not only to be godly men as fathers, but to be godly men within the church. And so as Paul starts to explain this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read the first six verses, he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this portion of Scripture. As we look at Paul, in the struggles and the battles that he's gone through, in all the negative words that had come against him, he stands firm in knowing that he has done a good job. And yet each of us here, Lord, every father, every man, every person, we come to understand that we are not sufficient. We come to realize that Maybe we didn't do such a great job. But I know, Lord, that you, your grace is sufficient to cover over a multitude of sins, to give us that new beginning, that new start, that as we go from this point forward, making a difference in the lives of our children, in the lives of our church, in the lives of our country. Thank you once again, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. I, I like to believe that the ministry is probably one of the most important professions, demands the best. Unfortunately, you got me. The most, <laughs> most spiritually qualified and the most skilled men. I, I believe that this is, I believe this with all my heart, that I have committed myself to go back to school. As some of you know, I've already graduated from Cal Baptist and I did some seminary work. I started late in, in my, my educational process. I've been off for about 10 years and I'm going to pursue uh, my, my, my education through, through seminary, and it's a doctorate degree, but I'm not going after the doctorate. And I don't know, that's not my intent. My intent is just to understand and, and to, to formulate and to get the message of Christ across to you as best as I can. And, and it's not my intelligence. Paul's intelligence was way beyond anybody's that I can ever think. He had a high IQ. He had the equivalent of three PhDs. But Paul always depended. His sufficiency was always upon God. And so in the process of education, in the process of understanding, God uses that. But what he uses on top of all that, or more than that, is your submission to his word. And so we as leaders, we as, as, as people that are in the church, and, and as fathers especially, we, we have to be careful as how we proclaim and live out God's word. In Ephesians chapter 6, in the top of your outlines, Paul says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As fathers, we are to not provoke our children to anger. How do we do that? Well, there's a lot, and there's some verses that would say, do not uh, exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. And, and kids get upset and angry over all kinds of things. But, you know, they're going to get mad and upset for things that we can help them through. But when we are the impetus or the starting point of all that anger, like, for instance, just being unpleasable. You know, I, I cleaned my room, okay, but you didn't clean it good enough. I did my bed, but it's not good enough. Or, or I, uh, here's, I, got, I brought B's and C's. Well, those aren't good enough. I need A's and B's. Okay, I got A's and B's. Why can't you get all A's? Being unpleasable as a father. And as you grow up and, and as your children grow up, they're doing well. And, and look, Dad, I, I've made it into the management position. But why don't you own the company as of yet? Or whatever the case may be. Being unple- it, it exasperates children and it provokes them to anger. Or being aloof, not being even there. You know, I'm busy, I'm tired, I, I can't help you, uh, you know, I've got things to do, I've got work to do, I've got... And, and being aloof, and, and a lot of people grow up thinking, well, my dad was the provider, but he was never there. And, and being aloof is, is a way of, of raising up anger within kids that sometimes they get the feeling that, you know, my parents don't care. I mean, there's various ways of provoking children to anger, and the Bible teaches us, don't do that. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as a man of God, as a father of, of God, and, and one that is pro- proclaiming and bringing up children, we want to bring them up in such a way that directs them to God. As a matter of fact, part of our responsibility is to be a leader. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have an account to give, or to give an account. A lot of people look at this verse when I proclaim it, yeah, Pastor Sal, you just want us to obey you. Look, you know, I, I want you to know something, that I have to give an account, but it's not necessarily because of that. The very next part says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's something that takes place within the economy of God that, that when you are constantly butting heads with the leadership, any leadership of, of the church, that it's no advantage to you. In James, this is not in your outlines, he says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That, my friend, scares me more than the heart of obey your leader. It's a challenging task. And so Paul says he addresses the issue because his own competency as a minister was under attack, and he was constantly having to defend himself. And so what he does in verses 6, excuse me, in the the six verses of chapter 3, painfully Paul goes through this to defend himself against the lies, and what he does is he replies in, in such a way that he has not have to say, look, here's my credentials. And so number one, what he does, and just going to go through this very quickly. Number one, you see, a godly man, when you look at this, has a godly reputation. He has a reputation that speaks for itself. He has a reputation. There are things that you can see that are in his life, not only in his life, evidence of God's work within his life. In verse 1, he says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You see, a man of God does not need to commend himself. A man of God doesn't have to state all his 
requirements or all everything that he's done. A man of God doesn't necessarily have to do that. What a man of God does is he just says, look, this is what God has done in my life. I don't have to commend myself again, do I? I don't have to lift myself up. And it's important to know that whatever, whatever the man has done will be seen. And therefore, each of us have to be accountable to what God is doing in our life. And we have to be accountable for what we allow God to do and not do in our life. And the, the perfect picture would be the children of those that have gone on into ministry or into the same type of work or the same type of ethics that a father has in, in the good sense. And a lot of times you'll be able to see it. You'll see how children are raised. You'll see how children respond. And that is the picture of the man's life. It's interesting because even uh, at the end of life, for most people, everybody really speaks highly of the person. I think it was Billy Graham that said of Richard Nixon, you really cannot measure the height of a tree until it is felled. And you can't measure how big it is until it's laying on the ground. And as each one of us go through life, we have to remember that one day our life will be determined and, and will be determined about who we are according to what we've done. But prior to all that, we, we ought to be com not commending ourselves, but having to work and lead people toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later on in chapter 5, he says, We are not again commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. See, Father's Day is an opportunity to take pride in our fathers. Father's Day is an opportunity to show our love to our fathers. And we do it in a tangible way, either with a nice dinner, with a nice lunch, with a, with a gift of something that a person, that a father might need. And so... As Paul is plainly, he's not commending himself. That is, you know, the approval by whom the Lord commends, but it is God who commends him himself. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in your outlines, it says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Paul says, I don't have to be a braggart. I don't have to be an eloquent speaker. I don't have to be all those things. I don't have to show you all the fancy words that I've learned. Because it's God, the, it's God who is showing, we're using not earthly wisdom, but the grace of God. And Paul knew that the only commendation that he needed was coming from God. And that is what he used. And that is what he fell upon all the time. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Is he trying to do this? Is he trying to say, look, I'm the boss. Look, I'm the leader. Look, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm the one that started you guys. I'm the one that put all my life. I invested everything I have in you. He didn't have to say that because the evidence was there. The moment I have to say I am the boss is the moment that you already believe that I'm not your boss. The moment I have to say that I am the leader, that's the moment that you have already said, you're not my leader. If I have to say that I am your pastor, if I have to say that I am your dad, if I have to say that I am your leader, or whatever the case may be, it just, it just implies that you don't see me as your father, your leader, your pastor, whatever the case may be. Paul says, I don't have to do that because God has his hand upon the work that I've done and the things that I've, I've, I've been able to do. He says, oh, surely do we need some sort of letter of commendation from somebody else? Does somebody else have to write us and, and tell you about me? 
goes, no, I've lived with you guys. I've worked with you guys. I've ministered to you guys. I've, I've been there with you guys. I've prayed for you guys. I've, I, I've, I've been there. You guys know me, Paul says. You've seen my heart. Back in those days, there were always letters of commendation or recommendation. Uh, I don't know if you remember it in, in Romans chapter 16, when Paul is sending the letter to Rome, he sends it through one of the faithful servants. Her name was Phoebe. And he says, I commend to you, my sister Phoebe. And he goes on with this list of things that she has done. They didn't know Phoebe. They knew Paul. But, he's, but Paul's word was sufficient to say, okay, well, if Paul recommends you, then it's good enough for us. And so as we grow, we have to recognize and realize, you know, I don't have to make a big deal about who I am. I just have to be who God made me to be. I have to be a godly man, a man of reputation. Number two, a, a godly man, a man of God, will have a mission to transform lives. Will have a mission to transform lives. In verses 2 and 3, he says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you, shall, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul's authenticity was evident. Not only from his blameless life, but by the work that he did. It was evident by his ministry, his call, his duty, his suffering, his everything he did for the gospel. Now, Corinth just happens to be the church that we're talking about, and Corinth just happened to be the people that were the most obstinate, and Corinth was a church in trouble, as we saw in 1 Corinthians, and, and, and Corinth was deep in Paul's heart as he did ministry everywhere he went. He would send people, he would write letters, and he would talk, if he had a phone and they had a, he would call them. Travel was days, weeks, months before he can ever get there. And so his only form of communication was, God, you know how much I love these guys. Why aren't they getting it? And why are they letting all these Judaizers come in and, and circumvent all that we've done? It happens. It happens. And Paul says, but you know, this is what I've done. I, I've poured into your life. And I've been poured into your life all these years. And, and as a father, you pour into the life of children. And whether you believe it or not, more things are caught than they are actually taught. You can try to teach your kids to do and change certain behaviors, but to be honest with you, they're going to do as you do, not as you say. Years ago, and I'm going to date myself now, many of you probably don't remember this, but years ago there was this father and this son, they were washing this red Mustang, I believe, and, and they were wa washing it, and the kid is washing, he, he sticks the bucket, uh, the, the towel in the bucket, the dad does, and the kid does the same thing, he gets the water hose and sprinkles the car, the kid gets the water hose and sprinkles the car, and they sit down after it's all done, after they dry it up, and the father pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking, and the little kid looks at the packet, and it ends. Be careful what you teach your children. And it was an anti-smoking cigarette uh, commercial. But that's the reality of who we are. As leaders, as men of your household, as fathers, you are teaching more by what you do than what you say. And you might want them to change their behavior, change their habits. And if you really want them to do that, then you need to change your behavior and you need to be, change your habits. You see, we're, we're in the business of transforming lives, little lives, little brains of mush. 
I mean, and these little brains, they're, they're, everything is coming in, and, and we have to speak truth into their, their life and, and speak kind words and love and encouragement and build them up, not with false hopes, but with, with the ability of, of understanding that these kids are, are going to respond to those that they look up to. And when we approach them in anger or resentment or bitterness because of what the world has done to us, and it's unfortunate. The only thing that I can remember about my father uh, was that he was an abusive alcoholic. He died when I was nine. And so I never had that. And, and I, I was trying to think this morning, how was it that I showed my appreciation to my father at that young age? And I can't remember of a gift, of a, anything that we ever did for Father's Day. I can't. As a matter of fact, since I was the old, oldest one, when, I, when my father died, it was my mom who told and kind of instructed our, our, my brothers and sisters to get, buy me gifts as a dad. I says, I'm not a father. It was just the responsibility of the oldest son at that time. But, and so I started thinking about this. I can't remember. And, and because I can't remember, because I had a bad childhood, it doesn't mean that I have to be the same with everyone else. And unfortunately, that's the way it is today in a culture where children are either aborted, abandoned, abused and in that culture it just continues to carry itself out but dads you can change that you can change that today and we need to continue to change that as best as we can you see God doesn't give you children God doesn't give you a church God doesn't give you a position without giving you the ability to perform it my responsibility is to submit to what God is doing I need to find out, okay, how do I raise a child without exasperating him or provoking him to anger? How do I raise up a child in the way he should go so that when he is older, he does not depart from it? How is it that I'm supposed to train them and teach them to honor your father and your mother? Well, the world has a totally different picture of what the family should be. But the Word of God will give you everything you need. It is important to dive into God's Word and understand that my mission as a father and as a pastor is to transform lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's interesting on how many churches have turned to be psychological churches. And there's psychology where we are trying to help you to become a better person, help you to become a better father, a better mother, uh, better equipped in your finances. You know, those things are true in the Bible. But when you're speaking God's truth into unregenerated hearts, when you're speaking God's word, and people will use it for their own benefit, but it will not make a transforming heart. It won't transform a person from death to life until the Holy Spirit himself has regenerated that soul. There needs to be the regeneration within a person's life. Because otherwise, it's just help me, give me, 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 me. Now, does the Bible speak about finances? Yes, it does. Does the Bible speak about husbands and wives? Of course it does. But that word needs to be proclaimed and brought into people, those that have received and understand the grace of God. It only makes sense to them. You see, God's word 
It's not for the world. I know a lot of people take God's word and, and they go out there and they try to pound the world with, with God's word as a huge hammer. And, and somebody eloquently stated once before that the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, are basic instructions before leaving earth. They're instructions for me. They're instructions for the church. And in the process of proclaiming God's word, and in the process of us understanding God's word, and, and knowing the saving power of Jesus Christ, we are to proclaim that to the world, and bring them in, and it, disciple them, and encourage them. You know, I've made this statement before, and I'll make it again. Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, he says, There is no one who seeks after God. No, not one. Nobody is looking for God. Well, that's not true, Pastor Sal. I know my family, I know someone that, you know, it's, it's, they're almost there. You know, they keep asking questions. They, they're almost there. What the world seeks, here's what the world seeks. What the world seeks is what God has to offer. They seek forgiveness. They seek relief from guilt and shame. They seek a better life. They seek God's blessings. God's blessings and God's grace is upon the whole world. That's what we call common grace. Common grace is for everyone, and the Bible tells us so. He gives us air, He gives us breath, He gives us life, He gives us the ability to produce wealth and, and to, to be pursue our happiness, as the Constitution states. But that's not saving grace. And so the world wants what the church has, but they don't want the commandments of God. They don't want to listen to what God says. Just give me this stuff, and you know, you can keep that other stuff. That's what the world seeks. They don't seek the cross. They don't seek the, the punishment. They don't seek the discipline. They don't seek what that cross signifies to us. What they seek is the good stuff. And it's all good. Beloved, it is. It's, it's all part of the whole package. You can't separate the See, And this is what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were instigating the people in Corinth, and, and, and they were telling them, you got to follow the law. And by the way, if you break a law or two, it doesn't matter because then you got grace. But here's the law. You, you, can, you have to follow the law, and then you have grace, so you don't have to be perfect. You're a work in progress. You know, it doesn't matter if you're still Corinthianizing, if you remember that phrase from 1 Corinthians. It doesn't matter if you're living like you're in San Francisco, basically is what they were saying. The word Corinthianizing meant, I mean, it's no holds barred. Everything was free. And within the church, that's the way it was. So, so we, we live according to what God is doing in our life, and we transform lives, and, and we help young lives, and little lives, and, and immature lives in Christ, and we bring them up, and we help them to see, yes, this COVID thing has really put a huge, huge bent in our, in our thinking, and everything that we do. The, this, the riots, yeah, you know, as I stated earlier, before we started, you know, all of that has already been talked about. God's already told us about it. Paul's already shared that about the lawlessness. Jesus Christ even promised it because the hearts of many will grow cold. This lawlessness will continue to increase. You know, but the end hasn't come yet. So all of these things that are happening right now, it's all part of God's plan. And so when we look at last week, the triumphal entry, the procession that Paul was talking about, and, and remember that triumphal procession that we talked about yesterday or last week and, and how the picture, that's all he had to say. And everybody got the picture, oh, like a ticker tape parade, like the, the Kansas City Chiefs when they went straight through the city with the Super Bowl, the Lombardi Trophy in their hands and everybody is, yeah, I remember that. 
And the triumphal procession for Paul was the picture of a warrior, was the picture of Rome conquering parts of the world and, and walking through the cities. And, and you had the fragrance of the priest's incense that were rising up. And you had the fragrance of all the, the garland and the flowers that were being thrown out through whoever. There was that sweet aroma, Paul says. Oh, it's, it's life for us. But the enemies that were captured, that were in that train of procession, it was death to them because they knew tomorrow. Tomorrow they were going to be executed. And Paul has this picture in the back of his mind. You know, I look at life in that way. It doesn't matter what happens. I have a triumphal procession waiting for me up ahead. And I can smell it. And I can sense it. And I can see it. Paul says later on, we'll study, that this vessel, this jar of clay is wasting away, but the inside, my spirit, is growing even more so because, well, that's where we have to go. I did my first funeral during COVID this last week on Friday. It was strange. It really was. I hadn't done a funeral yet, but I did my first one this Friday. And I didn't know the family. They, they called me and asked if I'd be a willing. Sure, I'll do it. You know, I mean, it's no big deal. And they asked me to show up on, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. But anyways, I showed up and, and I started to talk. I started to ask questions. Well, you know, I do have to share that. They asked me to show up on the night before. They had a viewing. But because of the way everything is set up, they don't have an actual service type of thing. You know, 10 people, all those other things. And, and what I found out, and I don't know how, what, what I found out is I don't know how true this is, that if, if you pass away from COVID, that they have to bury you right away or cremate you right away. And so this was done the night before and we were there. And, and I, I went, didn't have to be there, but I went because I wanted to know the family. Tell me about your mom. They go, well, we wrote it out for you. Here it is. And, and this woman was a beautiful woman of Christ. She loved Jesus. She proclaimed Jesus everywhere she went. And they said, you know, she had been suffering for this, all kinds of things for the last 30 years. I go, 30 years? Goes, yeah, but you know, you would never know it. She always greeted you with a smile. She knew that her new body was coming. She was, you know, I ordered it already. It's, it, Amazon's taking forever, she would say. I mean, it's getting shipped. I'm getting it soon. And she went for 30 years. It's on its way. And that's the way she lived life to the end. Y you know, you can look at all the problems around us, but what we need to look at is God. And we talked about this last week. When you focus on your problems, what that's called is worry. But when you focus on the promises of God, or when you focus on God, that's called worship. And so we just change the way we think. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, so do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Renew that mind and get it off of your problems and put it on the promises of God. Problems and promises of God cannot reside at the same time. You're either going to do one or do the other. They don't work together. You can bring them to God. You can pray about them. You can cry over them. And you can focus on God, but it doesn't debilitate you as it did Paul and we talked about last week. When, I, when I, a man of God, number three, will have confidence in his calling. Will have confidence in his calling. He says in verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. And I think one of the things as fathers is one of the hardest things to have is have that confidence. The biggest fear when I first found out that I was going to have a child was like, <laughs> what? You know, I, how did that happen? Oh, do you really need me to explain that to you? No, but okay. Uh, and, and you know, there's fear. I'm going to be responsible for this life. 
Am I going to be able to do so? What am I going to do? How am I going to make this work? And as I said earlier, it's unfortunate in today's culture, that's not even the picture anymore. Yeah, no big deal. All right, get rid of it. You know what? Give it away. Uh, I'll see you later. You take care of it. Because we have a system now that can help take care of families. But when you're a man of God, and you're trying to do what God has called you to do, yes, sometimes your confidence level is not all that high. And after the first year, you think, okay, whew, still alive. Okay, you know, after the second year, you know, in third year, and, and, and you know, I thought maybe after some time, but, you know, then they become adults. And then you're wondering, you know, did I do a good job? And, 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 and they, they grow older, and then they start having kids of their own. And you're wondering, you know, how come I didn't know that? You know, let me help. I got this. I got this. I can do this. I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I at least have an idea now. And, and as a father, and as a father-in-law, and as a spiritual father, there are a lot of times that our confidence level isn't up there. And Paul says, you know, I have, I have this confidence. And, and dads, you need to have this confidence as a godly man, looking into God's word and looking to see what it is. And, and you know, we've messed up. But thanks be to God, Right? We talked about this last week, but God, you know, and he always just comes in right at the right time, and there's ways of making these things right again. It's never, ever too late. As long as there's breath in your life, you can make things right again. You can. Paul's defense of his ministry was not designed to to relieve this nagging doubt on his part, it was, it was more his confidence. I mean, the part of him being not confident in himself, not confident in what he did, not confident in his education, not confident in the, the, the things that he was able to accomplish. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. As a matter of fact, right before this, he says, you know, uh, Jesus Christ appeared to me, the least of all apostles, the worst sinner. He appeared to me. And then he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I know what I am. I know that I've murdered. I know that I've had Christians, well-meaning good Christians, people thrown into prison. I know I've had their possessions taken away. People argue and say, well, what was that thorn in, God, in Paul's flesh? What was that thing that was just nagging him and couldn't get away from? People say it was his eyesight, it was a limp, it was his back, it was beat up. Personally, you know what I think? I think it was just that thought in the mind, man, I, I can't believe I did that. Okay, God, I, all right. I got it, I got it, you forgave me, but man, it, here, he says it again, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yes, I'm vile, I was vulgar, I, I was that type of a person, and even now, I still don't feel adequate. Dads, how many of you guys have ever said that? We don't. But by the grace of God, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. God's grace wants to work through you. Let God's grace work through you. But what do I say, Pastor Sup? I don't know. I don't know your situation, but I know one thing. God's grace will work through you if you just allow him to work through you. But they don't want to talk to me. It doesn't matter. Give them a call. They're your children. You birthed them. You brought them into this world. What, you think God didn't know what he was doing? Yeah, God knew what he was doing, but I didn't. Okay, repent. Let's get this thing taken care of. Now, 
Because the last thing we want is for somebody to pass away and have all these regrets piled on and perpetrated throughout eternity with other children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Number four, you know, man of God will be dependent upon God's power. And it goes in line with the confidence that we have. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Paul says, you know, I understand. I, I know where I come from. I, I, I've done all this training. And, and he goes, and he's, he's not bragging, but he's saying, look, you know, I'm Jew of the Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees, schooled under Gamaliel. You went to school with Gamaliel. Yeah, he was my teacher. He was your teacher? Yes, I, him and I had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You know, I, he taught me everything I know. I know the Torah back, backwards and forward. You know, I, I have that training. And as I said earlier, he had the equivalent of three PhDs. He was just a master at writing, at communicating. But he says, it's not me. It's God's power, God's strength, God's, God himself, his presence. And we cannot, we cannot fall back to our own way of thinking. It's not my, it's not my job. It's God's job. I have to submit to what he wants to do in my life. His own inadequacies and lack of human resources allowed Paul to be the channel through which the divine power would go through. When you come to a place and you rec recognize, you know, God, I, I can't do this, that's when God says, I know. <laughs> that's why I chose you, because you can't do this. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let me do it through you. God does not look for mighty and noble people. He does not call the equipped. You've heard this before, but he equips those that he has called every single time. The last thing I want to share with you is uh, a godly man will proclaim the new covenant. A godly man will proclaim the new covenant. It goes back to say, who, was made, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is, this is interesting because in order to understand what Paul is saying here, you have to have an understanding of the covenant in itself, and to understand the, the glory and the grace of this new covenant, when Jesus Christ was at the Last Supper, he raised up the cup and said, this is my blood, which is the new covenant. And we have to realize that there was covenants that God had done before. He, he had two, there were two covenants that have no relation to salvation. The, the, the covenant that he had with Noah, I would never, I covenant with you, I'll never flood the world again. And then the, the covenant that he had, the priestly covenant, this is, this is my priestly covenant. If you follow this, then this will happen. If you don't follow this, then this is what's going to happen. So they, they express God's promises never to destroy the world or people uh, again and always provide a priesthood in, in the presence of the people. Now, there were two other covenants as well, the covenant that he had with Abraham and the covenant that he had with David. Now, the Abrahamic covenant was the covenant that he was going to bless Abraham, make a people for himself, and bring land and blessings, and ultimately the Messiah was to come to through that covenant. And then the Davidic covenant was also uh, a promise to David that he would have a son in his place that was going to be greater than Solomon. And that Davidic covenant, well, of course, was realized in Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's you know, that's just a, a, in a nutshell on the covenants. And if you ever have a chance to really study the covenants of the Old Testament, I encourage you to do so. You will understand a little bit more what Paul is saying about this new covenant how people are saved and blessed and entered in the glorious kingdom, the new covenant has all the answers to all that. That's what the new covenant is all about. And so 
when you start looking at what Paul is talking about, he says every, every person, every person from Adam to the last person that will be saved is under the new covenant. The old covenant, the old covenant of salvation was there to show us that we can't do this perfectly. That's what it was for. It was not there so that you can be tempted to try to follow every jot and tittle of the covenant. Now, the old covenant, now that it's no longer there, it doesn't abolish the moral standard of that covenant. God still doesn't want you to kill. God still doesn't want you to, to, to lie. God still wants you to honor your father and your mother. God, you know, in all the Ten Commandments and everything, God desires that still. The moral covenant is still there. But the covenant itself, the, the laws itself, they don't save me. They were used, as Paul said, as a school <clears throat> excuse me, as a school teacher to help us to see that we cannot do this. And it wasn't ratified, realized, and put into place until the cross of Jesus Christ. That's when it was stamped. Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. I've done what you've asked me to do, God. I've taken on the sin of the world. No longer is needed the blood of bulls, rams, and goats. For I have fulfilled every aspect of that covenant. And so Jesus said, this, this cup, is the new covenant. Place your faith in what Jesus Christ did. And it wasn't official until then. So the new, so the heart of the new covenant, the new covenant is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross. See, God never preached salvation by legalism, rituals, ceremony. That's what the Judaizers were trying to do. Within our churches today, we have people that say there's certain things that you have to do. Jesus Christ is sufficient, and he's taking care of all of it, all by ourselves. As a matter of fact, the one thing that we need to do is stay away from the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Paul says the letter kills in two ways. It kills first through the living death of grief, frustration, unfulfillment, guilt, and shame, and the results from people's inability to keep the law. It just puts you in that category. Says, I, I can't do this. You're not supposed to. The second way that the letter kills is through eternal damnation because we are trusting in my works. We are trusting in works to get us saved. And it is not by works that you're saved. It's by the grace of God. See, but the Spirit gives life and it enables us to, to be transformed, to be changed, to be uh, reborn, regenerated. And this is why we focus on and look to and depend upon the Word of God because he has the direction that we need. In your outlines, 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul tells Timothy, he says, you know, here's, here's how you do this. You've got to focus on the Scripture, which is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's not through tradition. It's not through the denomination or the church it's not through anything else but through the word of god we are proclaiming we are constantly asking you to have the word of god in your midst in your hands you have it on your phones it's fine you have it on a, a tablet that's great but you should have a, a, a page a paper this will not change you know it's interesting because all things are going the way they're going now they're changing a lot of things when we first started as a church, we started with the New International Version. I really liked that translation. It was a good translation. 
And I know some people prefer the King James, New King James, American Standard, and so on and so forth. When the NIV changed the feminine and the, and the masculine pronouns and, and nouns of the, of the Bible, we said, okay, we're, we're, we're done. And my first thought was to go back to the King James Version, the New King James Version. And then I, I was looking at the New American Standard as well. And there's various translations and various ways of looking at God's Word. And so we, we opted to go with the English Standard Version. Every translation, of course, does not do justice to the original manuscripts of Greek and Hebrew. They don't. There are more words in Greek, for instance, love, to express the word love than they are in English. To us, it's only love. You know, I love my brother, I love my family, I love God, I love my wife. Unconditional, brotherly love, uh, emotional love. And the three words that are used in the Greek term, they, they will tell you. We translate those words as love. And for us, we use the same word. And so, when you take all these translations and all these Bibles that we have, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. You can either get a Bible that is translated thought for thought or word for word. The ESV is more word for word as the King James, New King James, and the New American Standard. God's Word, His spoken Word, the Word that is read, God has saw fit to make sure that His Word is proclaimed properly and read so that you can understand what you have to do. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here it is, folks. This is what we proclaim, and this is what we teach. Get yourself a Bible in your hand. Read it. Study it. Contemplate on it. Meditate. Apply it. Memorize it. Have it in the back of your mind always. Ready to fulfill the commission that God has given us. See, in order to be a godly man and a man that is raising up children, raising up a church, it has been difficult, it has, as a father, father-in-law, and spiritual father. We don't have a whole lot of people here. A lot of people are still listening to us online. We've had families come and go through here, spiritual father, spiritual children. And I, of course, I miss them. Some people come and spend some time and, you know, just move on. Some people leave because they're mad. Some people leave because they don't agree or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a co consistent turnover. And so, as a pastor, it does weigh heavy on my heart. And then I get texts and emails from people that I haven't seen or heard from in, in a long time. They say, Happy Father's Day. Thank you for the influence. Thank you for... And it kind of makes it good. I, and I always want to text back, but why did you leave? <laughs> Come back. We had five families just move up to Hesperia, and they were coming down the hill for some time. We've had people move out of the area. And, and, and we, are, we are poised, beloved. We are poised to be a great church in this community. And as some of you have been following along, and the Lord has blessed us. We don't have a huge community of givers, tithers, and I, I appreciate for what you do, but the Lord has blessed us to continue on the ministry in this church without any hindrance. God has blessed us tremendously, and 
we're, we're so poised and, 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 and ready. But the, the thing that is holding us back is leaders. Those that are willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll do this. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to take on the responsibility and to, to, to have, have this godly reputation, to be able to transform these lives, and, and to have my confidence in, in the calling that I've been called here to this church, and depend totally on God's power, because I want to proclaim that new covenant. And there are a lot of people that have come and said, you know, well, well I'll help. You know, I, I like your church. You know, this is a nice place. You know, we have a lot of people say great things about this church, the people, and of course, and your pastor and all. We have a lot of great people that they'd say some great things, but very few people actually say, this is my church. I want to help in furthering the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Some of those have gone on and started some of their own ministries. Some have actually, you know, become a part of this church, and, and I'm just calling out the called. I'm calling out the called and asking you to be a part of what God is going to do here. Because we'd like to do this with you or without you. We'd love it if you were with us. Let me ask you to stand. We're going to read the last verse as we honor our Father who art in heaven for Father's Day. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples, this is how you should pray. Many of you already know this. Uh, is this the King, King James Version? I hope so. Um, but it's in your outlines also. All together, let's read this together. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you once again for the gentle reminder you give us of understanding and knowing that you are our Father. So Lord, I pray that we can stand up and rise to the occasion of being godly men, to have a godly reputation, to have a mission to transform the lives of our children, grandchildren, and the spiritual children that we birth here in this church, to have confidence in your calling that you've called us to be godly men, to be dependent upon your power and your word, and to proclaim the new covenant. So Father, once again, we just thank you for being here and visiting with us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone says, Amen.